Well, good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? It's a nice day, ain't it? My my hands, when I preached outside, they started, you know, they get cold. You can, a little slow to move. Like that was actually happening. I've, I've been waiting so long for that to happen. Uh, so that, that was fun to get to preach in some, some cool weather. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Genesis chapter 3. One of the most popular stories in Scripture, the story of Adam and Eve in the fall. Genesis chapter 3, we'll look at the through the whole story. I won't read it all right now, um, but I'll read the first two verses and I'll say a prayer and we'll walk through the story together. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1, Scripture says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Say a prayer with me. Lord, thank You for this Scripture. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ revealed in this passage. If someone here doesn't know you this morning, we ask that you would save them from their sins forever. In his name we pray. Amen. If I had to compile a list of what I would say are the top five uh, most important passages in all of Scripture, this passage would absolutely be in that top five. This passage gives us the answer for why the world is the way that it is. And there's a universal understanding, no matter what your worldview is, no matter what your religion is or belief system, wherever you are, whoever you are, we all understand that the earth is not a perfect place. While there are beautiful places all over this planet, there are also natural disasters, There are diseases, there are viruses, as we all know. Nature itself is not peaceful. It can be dangerous, it can be scary. It's not a friend to us. There's also a universal understanding that people aren't perfect. People are capable of doing wrong. And not only are we capable of doing wrong, every one of us, we are all guilty of doing wrong. All you have to do is turn on the news for five minutes at six o'clock and you are immediately aware of this, right? We see that there's racism, there's rioting, there's murder, there's selfishness, there's hatefulness, lying, disrespect for other human beings. The list goes on and on. And on top of these sins existing, those who are guilty of these things have hearts that in their natural state are unwilling to to recognize these evils as evil. And this is true for everyone. Our natural inclination is to reject any notion that the problem is within ourselves. And because we reject any notion that the problem is within ourselves, we think we are then equipped to fix the problem. Well, I only did what I did because so-and-so, they, they did that to me. And if, if they wouldn't do that, if they would fix themselves and stop doing what they're doing, things would be better. 
well, if this group would do better or, or if this group would stop doing this and if we have these systems up, if we have these presidents or these governors, there will be less evil and the world might be a better place for us. The issue with this response is that it completely ignores the main problem in our lives. What this passage shows us and what the gospel shows us is that while there is absolutely evil all around us all the time, those outside evils are not our greatest enemy. The greatest enemy that we face is the evil that lies within one's own heart. And what this passage shows us is that we as individuals, we must be confronted with our sin. You see, while so many people, and we're all guilty of this, we, we spend time pointing fingers at what we think the issue is, the gospel of Jesus Christ unveils a very specific tool that reveals to us the true problem in our life. And what the gospel unveils is a mirror. And Jesus Christ is beckoning every person to look in the mirror and recognize that what you see in that mirror is the problem. Our sin as individual people is the problem. And what we see in our story this morning is that Adam and Eve sinned, even though it damaged the very fabric of nature itself, the very fabric of humanity, it was not too great for the grace of God. And He promises Jesus Christ to save us. So let's walk uh, through this story together. I, I read the first two verses. I'll read them again. Verses 1-4, through four, it says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here we are introduced to the serpent and the text, the story, it doesn't specifically say that this is Satan, but many other places in Scripture tell us that. Ezekiel tells us that Satan was in Eden. Job, Isaiah, Revelation, many other places refer to Satan as this serpent. We know this is Satan. He is crafty. He is cunning, he is sneaky, he is smart, and he comes to deceive Eve. He comes to her and he says, did God really say don't eat from that tree? Are you sure he meant what you think he meant? And Eve's response is, yeah, uh, he said don't eat from that tree or you will die. And Satan says, no, 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 you won't die. Actually, God knows if you eat, you will be more like Him, knowing good and evil. And suddenly, something Eve had no interest in and had no business having interest in becomes desirable for her. I want to share a quote with you from St. Basil the Great. He said, Hell can't be made attractive, so the devil makes attractive the road that leads there. Hell can't be made attractive. So the devil makes attractive the road that leaves there. Satan can't come to us with a message that says, hey, there's this place I know about. I'm going there. There will be pain and there will be sadness and darkness and torment forever. It's terrible forever. Sound like a place you want to go? 
No one's going to jump on that ship, right? But what he can do is make the road that leads to it attractive. And Satan, he made this road attractive for Eve. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. You will understand good and evil. You won't die. You'll be better. And on top of that, it's fruit. It's going to taste good. And in Eve's mind and in her flesh and in her heart, she starts thinking and dwelling on these things. Wait a minute. I can tell me I can be like God? Like the, the, the one who made me from nothing? I could be like that? That sounds pretty nice. So she ate the fruit. She was deceived and she sinned. So what do we, what, what do we learn from this? I, I think the answer is simple. Don't be deceived. And there's a very helpful way to not be deceived, and it's this. Know God's Word. And know it well. Meditate on it. Think on it. Pray on it. You see how Satan twisted God's Word to deceive Eve? He said, did God really say that? Are you sure that's, that's what he said? We have to know what God's Word says, and we have to know it clearly. Whenever you feel temptation, maybe it's to cheat or to lie or to gossip or to slander or to lust or to be selfish, greedy, whatever it is, we need to know what God's Word says about it. Because I promise you, whatever the temptation is, it will come in the form of attraction. And if we can't respond with what God has clearly said, we will be deceived. Verses 6 and 7 tell us that the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Eve wants to eat well. This fruit's going to taste good. She wants wisdom. She wants to be like God. She wants to know about good and evil. So she eats. And then it says, and, and this may be the most surprising part of this whole story. She gave some to her husband who was with her. The way the Hebrew reads is that he was actually with her, like elbow to elbow with her. He wasn't off in the field doing some work and came back and realized what had happened. He was with her. He was with his wife when she disobeyed God, waiting to see what was going to happen to her. Adam failed as a husband. This is clear. God had given Adam this command directly. Adam should have stopped Eve. He should have spoke up and he didn't. And what this shows us is that he became so attracted to this sin himself, he was willing to let his wife risk being the first one to try it. I have a close friend who is always wanting to do something wild and adventurous. And anytime our, it's a friend from high school, or I get together with my high school buddies, he's all the time finding something crazy he wants to do. It could be 30 degrees outside and he'll say, hey, if you jump in that lake, I'll do it. Hey, if you, if you go cliff diving off this 70-foot waterfall, I'll do it. And it's always, if you do it, I'll do it. And it's almost like th this is what we see from Adam here. He's saying, if you try it, 
and I see what happens to you and I know I'll be okay, maybe I can try it. Husbands, we fail if we watch in silence as our wives sin. And this applies to wives. You fail as a wife if you watch in silence as your husband sins. This applies to the body of Christ. To Talatha Baptist Church, we fail as a church if we watch in silence while each other sins. We must know God's word and we must speak up when others aren't keeping it. So Eve, she she gives some of the fruit to Adam and he eats. Now Adam and Eve, they are both guilty of sin. They chose to disobey God's command that was given for their good. They chose to be selfish. They only thought of themselves and what they wanted. They did not think of the Lord. They didn't trust in the goodness of God. They only thought of themselves and their own selfish desires. And now two who were righteous, two who were pure, become stained with sin and are now unrighteous. And the moment they became guilty, everything changed. Their souls became tarnished. Their hearts were no longer pure. Their physical and their spiritual world became completely shattered. And Scripture says that the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Their sin, it brought guilt and shame and their entire personhood immediately felt exposed. And they knew they were naked. So what did they do? They sought cover. They had no power over the guilt they were feeling internally. So they tried to cover their guilt externally. And that doesn't work. All of humanity does this and always has. We seek cover because within every single human heart, there is the whispering guilt of unrighteousness. Every person has felt guilt and shame, whether they're a Christian, an atheist, agnostic. It doesn't matter who you are. Every single person knows that feeling. They may not realize or recognize the problem for what it truly is, but we all feel it and we all seek cover. Adam and Eve, they seek cover through fig leaves. We may seek it through relationships, through career opportunities, money, social media, Alcohol, food, religion, even the list that, that, that goes on and on. And the guilt and shame we all feel it should only result in seeking cover in God Himself. Adam and Eve, they should have immediately sought after God when they realized what they did. And when we do wrong, we should immediately seek after God. Don't hide, don't run, don't look for anything else. Go straight to God Himself. The story tells us that that God is walking in the garden during the evening. During the evening breeze, and Adam and Eve, they hear God, and they hide from Him. And He calls out to Adam, and He asks, Where are you? Now, this reveals some some beautiful things about the character of God. We know God is all-knowing. He knows what's happened. He knows that Eve was deceived. He knows what the serpent has done. He knows Adam was with her when it happened. He knows Adam ate the fruit. He knows that they realized they were naked and tried to cover themselves. He knows the shame and guilt they are feeling. He knows that they just heard him in the garden and have now hid from him. And his response is to gently call out, 
Where are you? God is patient. God is patient. He waits for the evening breeze. He gives Adam and Eve time to seek him. And when they didn't, he sought after them. God didn't come with like explosive wrath, raining fire from heaven the moment that they sinned. He was patient towards them. He waited. And when he came, he graciously and gently calls out, where are you? And this is how God comes to all of us. The reality is we are all guilty of sin. Every one of us, we are all unrighteous. No one seeks God on their own. Romans 3.11 tells us there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. We don't seek after God. Our, Our sin, it makes us incapable of that. But God, He patiently and lovingly seeks after us. And He did it through Jesus Christ, His Son. And I want you to specifically remember this and think about this if you have a family member or a friend who's not a believer. Maybe you have someone where you think, I, don't, I, I just don't know how they will ever put their faith in Christ. We all know someone like that. It just, it, just be honest, it seems like they're too far gone. We know that's not true because of the gospel, but it can feel that way. They just they seem like they're too far gone. Remember, God is being patient towards them while He seeks them out. It may be five more years. It may be 50 more years before they trust Christ. You may be long gone from this earth and never get a chance to see it. But when you feel those doubts, remember, God is being patient towards them. In the very same way He was patient to me and you. Have faith in the power of His grace and His patience. And patiently, God, He asks Adam, Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And Adam, his response is, the woman you gave to me gave me some fruit and I ate. And it's clear here in Adam's response, he is unwilling to fully recognize the sin in his own heart. He gives blame to Eve. Oh, she she gave this to me. This isn't that big a deal for me, right? Because she's the one who gave it to me. This isn't really my fault. That's That's the undertone in his response is this isn't my fault. And I mentioned this at the start, our our natural inclination is to point fingers. And that's what Adam's doing. He's pointing fingers at his wife. She gave it to me. We don't want to recognize that we as individuals are the problem. And we don't want to fully bear the weight of our own sin. So we blame others. Adam, he even blames God. He says, the woman you gave to me. I didn't ask for her. You gave her to me. Now it's God's fault. And we do this too. We blame God. Well, God, you allowed this situation to happen. You know I don't handle that well. If you you hadn't let that happen, things might not have happened the way they did. We must accept responsibility for our sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands it. Then God, he asks Eve, he says, what is this you have done? And she tells him, that the serpent deceived her and she ate. And while that is true, the the serpent, Satan, he did deceive her. And the serpent does deceive us. We need to understand that being deceived is not an excuse. Being deceived and giving in is itself a sin. 
And God, he's, he's not going to respond to deception with, oh, I didn't realize you were deceived on that one. I'm just going to let that one slide by. That's not what happens. We're still guilty. Eve was still guilty. So God, he goes and he, he begins to do something unique here. He addresses all three parties involved. He addresses Satan, the serpent, Eve, and Adam. And he delivers their consequences for their sin. And God's response to Satan here is the most important part of this whole passage. He says, you are cursed more than any livestock and animal. You will move on your belly and you will eat dust forever. Whatever the serpent looked like before the fall, that's no longer the case. God curses and crumbled the very anatomy of this animal that Satan used to get to Eve and Adam. Whenever you see a snake, be reminded of the curse of the devil. Be reminded of God's power over evil and be reminded that God himself will cause Satan and every one of his demons to bend a knee in submission to Jesus Christ. That is the power of the God we serve. Verse 15, he says, I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This here is the most important part and one of the most important parts in the entire Bible. He says, between your seed and the seed of the woman, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I'm going to give you guys a theological term if you want to write it down to remember it. It's what we call proto-evangelium. And it specifically refers to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Proto-evangelium. And what that means is first gospel. This is the first place we have a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is prophesying right here that Christ will come. And God says, Satan, you will bruise the hill of Jesus, my son. Yes, but he will suffer and die on the cross. And in his suffering and in his death and in his resurrection, he will crush your head. The first prophecy of Christ, it screams the love of God for mankind. Adam and Eve, the first two of his creation, the only two of his creation to ever experience some time untainted by sin, these two that he loved, they rebelled against him. They rebelled against the command that God gave in love because it was good for them. And God knows that this unrighteousness, now, now it makes them unfit for the Garden of Eden. It makes them unfit for the kingdom of heaven. It makes them unfit to stand in God's presence. And he knows this isn't the only sin that they commit. Sin will beget sin will beget sin, and they'll sin more. And because of it, they're lost without hope. And he knows that their children will be lost without hope. And their children's children will be lost. And every single person who comes after will be lost without hope because of their sin. So God provided salvation in love. He provided Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, to crush the head of the serpent and save people from their sins. Ephesians 2 tells us, says, you were all dead in your trespasses. Every one of you, you were all dead in your sins. But if you have faith in God, He makes us alive in Christ. We, everyone here, all of humanity, have been dead in our sins. We can't do anything about the fallen human condition, but God did something about it. And God Himself, 
our Lord, the one who created us, powerful enough to give us life physically, is the only one who has the power to give us life spiritually. He is the only one with the power to save us. There's something I've been thinking about with this passage and over the past few days, and I think it's important to remind ourselves of this, especially right now during election season, November 3rd, right around the corner. Uh, It's all you see on the news right now. And, And I'm starting to see this tendency within Christian culture to, in some ways, shift their hope from Christ to whoever it is they want to lead and fix the country. It's important that we think about this prophecy. We think about passages like Ephesians 2. We think about the gospel. And we remind ourselves the president, whoever it is, does not hold the power to save souls. And the president, whoever it is, does not hold the power to keep souls from being saved. I'm not saying this isn't important, but what I am saying is that there is an election far more important than what's happening next month, and that is the election of Jesus Christ before the foundations of the world to save sinners. And whatever happens next month, Jesus is still king. And our mission as God's people is to be obedient to our king. There isn't time to to go into depth into Eve's curse and Adam's curse, but God tells Eve, because of your sin, your struggle in childbirth will be intensified. Children are going to be a blessing for me, but you, the experience you have having them will be a curse for your sin. Your husband is going to be the leader of your family, but in your heart, your desire is going to be to rule over him. And you're going to have this internal struggle accepting and submitting to that. He tells Adam, the ground is cursed. It will provide food for you, but you're going to have to work really hard for it. You're going to have to sweat. Your back is going to hurt. And then God says, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The greatest curse for sin is death. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. God is a just God. There is punishment for sin. Men, men in the room, think about it the next time you're out doing yard work. And you're sweating, and you come in and you're just beat. And your knees hurt, and your back hurts, and you're exhausted. That is God's curse to remind us of our sinfulness and point us back to Him. Women, think about the difficulty of childbirth. Think about the difficulty you've had accepting God's design for your husband to lead you. That is God's curse pointing you to your sinfulness, reminding you of it, and Him bringing you back to Himself. But at the same time, these consequences, they are consequences. In reality, they are gracious consequences. They reflect God's being slow to anger and it reflects his patience and his grace. He didn't kill Adam and Eve on the spot. They lived 900 years after that. And these consequences, it reminded them of their sin and it would point them back to God because scripture says God desires all men to be saved. That is the character of God. All men. He desires all men to be saved. And there's a common question that I'm asked. I'm sure most of you here have been asked before too at some point. How can God be loving and send someone to hell? 
how can God be loving and allow this to happen? Or, or maybe someone will point to you to a certain passage in Scripture and say, this doesn't seem like a loving God to me. I, I don't understand. There are over 7 billion people on the planet. And I would guess 7 billion people who have sin in their heart right now, who are still alive right now because of God's love and grace for them. 7 billion people who Jesus Christ suffered and died for so they could be healed from their brokenness. 7 billion people who God owes absolutely nothing to, but He gave them everything in Christ. You guys may have heard, we, we had my grandfather's funeral on Thursday, and he died at 92. 92 years, 92 long years that God graciously gave to a sinner. 92 years of patience and grace and love. The reality is, whatever the age is, the truth about God is the same. If I died today, that would be 26 years of God's grace and His patience and His love for me. If something were to happen to my daughter Alice today, as, as awful as that would be, and I won't stand up here in front like I, I wouldn't walk down that path with struggle and frustration and anger and difficulty, as terrible as it would be and as hard as it would be, that would be two years, two whole, wonderful, beautiful years that God blessed sinners with. Two sinners. And He gave us two years. That's what that would be. That's His love. God loves people and it's absolutely evident all around us. It's a beautiful day outside. That's God's blessing. If it were raining right now, and dreary. That is God's blessing. As we close, I want to point you to one more thing. Verse 21, it says, The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. And right there is the grace and love of God all over again. I would bet that the so job Adam and Eve did with the fig leaves wasn't on par with grandma's sewing skills, right? Well, whatever it was that they had, it, in God's eyes, it wasn't fit to meet their needs. And we're reminded again, we can't successfully cover ourselves, but God Himself can do it for us. The story doesn't say, but I, I think that they watched as God killed an animal and provided covering for them. I would bet they watched the blood be spilt as a result of their sin. That animal who was in no way guilty or connected to Adam's sin, to Eve's sin at all, died so that they could be covered. That animal's blood was spilt so that they could be covered. This is a clear foreshadow of Christ. He knew no sin, yet He became sin for us. And He suffered and died and resurrected and he defeated death and hell forever. The world has, has forever been different since that day. And all of us, all of us are guilty of sin. All of us share responsibility for the brokenness that is in this world. It's why you see what you see on the news. It's why we're all sitting here wearing masks because of this virus. It's why diseases exist and loved ones die. The world is broken because people are broken. 
but there is healing and salvation in Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted in Him, today is the day for salvation. And for my fellow Christians, my church family, keep your hope fixed on the one who heals us from sin. And let's be obedient to our King together. Would you say a prayer with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Gospel. Thank You for loving us enough to give us breath and to graciously keep breath in our lungs even though we've sinned against You. I pray if someone here today doesn't know You, You would convict their heart and add them to Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen.